Now today and uh, next Sabbath, we are going to be talking about something that, uh, even though I believe the Bible is quite clear about it, there, there has been some uh, different interpretations and maybe even some misunderstanding in terms of what the Bible says. And uh, there, is a, there is a sentence that I believe has become uh, very common in Christian circles and particularly in Seventh-day Adventist circles when we talk about the state of the dead. So what happens when a person uh, dies? But rather than focusing on death, the title of this two-part series is Life because uh, Jesus came to give us life, right? And we believe that life is the great gift that God has for each and every one of us. And so today we are going to be talking about this life principle. What is life exactly? How, how life came uh, to be, to exist on this planet? So what is life? And what is this life principle behind every living thing? And then next week we are going to talk about what happens next. What happens when life ceases? And uh, what kind of hope can we have for the future? And... Um, even in Christian circles, as I said, there has been some confusion and some misunderstanding. Uh, so we're going to see what the Bible says about this today and next week. And so before we open up scripture and we study God's word, I'd like to ask you to join me in prayer. Uh, please bow your heads. Father, once again, we ask for your direction this morning and we ask that your voice will be heard, that every noise will be silenced, that you'll be able, Lord, to focus on the message you have for us. And I ask that you may use me as your instrument. I am unworthy, but hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ. And may your name be honored and glorified in everything that I say and in everything that we all do. We ask for these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I'd like to go back to Acts chapter 17 and verses 24 to 28. And you may remember the, the story, you may remember the situation when Paul was in Athens. And he was there in the, in the midst of a group of people who were discussing uh, different things and different ideas. And it was a place where people who had novel ideas would come and share them and discuss them and spend time together discussing and Paul comes to that city of Athens, and he goes to this particular place. And uh, on the way to this meeting, to this place where people were meeting, Paul saw an altar. He saw actually several altars to uh, offer dedicated to different deities. And he sees one uh, altar that says to the unknown God. And so just in case they had missed some deity, they had that altar to the unknown God. Or also because uh, there were other different deities that were not known to them, they would have that altar for the unknown God. And so Paul comes to, to this meeting and he, he talks to them. And at some point Paul says, I see that you are very religious. And I even see that there is an altar that you have offered to, dedicated to the unknown God. Now let me tell you, I know whom this unknown God is. And I can tell you all about him. And he goes on to talk about the God who created the world. The creator God. The one who created you and I. 
And in the context of this conversation, Paul says this in verses 24 through to 28, speaking of God, the Creator. God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. And He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring." And so Paul is saying that God is the one who gives us life and all things. He's the one who gives us life and breath and all things. And he's the one that from one blood, from one person, he created all other human beings. And so it is clear here from Paul's discourse, talking to a number of people who are not even Christians, he's making clear that there is only one source of life. And this source of life is God. God is the one behind everything we see here. Everything that exists that has ever been created comes from the hand of God, God according to scriptures. Now before I go any further, I want to say something. Uh, the Bible has some expressions that we need to be uh, wise when we read these expressions. The reason I'm saying this is because uh, at some point we are going to talk about the word soul. And the word soul has been uh, quite misinterpreted. But let me take you to Genesis. So let's go back here to Genesis chapter 4 verse 10. Because I want to point out something that I think is, is important as we go forward. Genesis 4 verse 10. You remember that in the second generation. So the, the generation of the children of Adam and Eve. Uh, one, of his one of his sons uh, got enraged with his brother and took the life of his brother. And then God comes to Cain and says, uh, where is your brother? And Cain, even though he was the older, he said, what? Am I my? Am I my brother's keeper? And God says in verse 10, Genesis 4, verse 10. God says, the blood of your or your brother's, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, he's, God is saying that the blood is crying out from the ground. Now, do we really read this to understand that the blood was actually crying out and God was listening to the voice of the blood? No, this is figurative. This is a figure of speech. God is saying that you may try to hide it, you may try, try to pretend as if you don't know anything, but I know all about it. I saw it, and I know that your brother is no longer. And there are other passages in the Bible where, for example, the mountains are, are spoken of as clapping and the rivers singing. And we can't really hear the rivers sing or the mountains clap, but we understand that this is being spoken in a figurative way. However, 
There are texts, and the majority of them in the Bible are texts that are very clear, and they actually mean what they say. It's no figure of speech. And so let's go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, because this is a verse that is very foundational. As it talks about what Paul was saying in the New Testament of how God brought life into this world, how God brought life into the human being. So the Bible says in Genesis 2 verse 7 that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became what? A living soul or a living being. And so we see here that God put together two elements. Now there has been uh, throughout history a lot of discussion as to how the human being is composed. What are the components that make up the human being? And so some people believe that the human being is made up of the body, of the spirit as the breath, and a soul, something that is inside man, that at death goes away uh, some, somewhere else. This is what many people believe. It's this tripartite idea of the human being. Other people believe that the human being has only two components according to what Genesis 2 verse 7 says. And this is true according to the text. This is biblical. So there are two components. One of them would be the dust of the ground. And the other was the breath of life. That in some portions, some places in the Bible it's called the spirit. So the breath of life, once it was uh, blown into the man's nostrils, into that form's nostrils, uh, that form became a living being, became a living soul. And so those two components are necessary, the dust of the ground and the breath of life. However, I want to go beyond this, and I want you to follow me so you don't misunderstand me. Those are the two basic components of a human being. That's what the Bible says. Those two and only those two, the dust of the ground and the breath of life. Are you with me? Okay, we read from the same Bible, we read from the same text that God put together two things, the dust of the ground and then the breath of life. So while those are the two basic components of the human being, the human being, I want to say that the human being is more than that. The human being has several different aspects, even though at the very foundation there are two basic components, the dust of the ground and the breath of life. But a human being is more than that. So for instance, you buy a brand new computer and you bring the computer home. Now the computer has several parts in it. Is that correct? Well, we hope so. You don't want to op open the box and find out there is only a case there. You want to you hope that there are electronic components inside that computer. There is a screen. Uh, there is a motherboard. There are several different capacitors and and uh, uh, some small wires, and there is a fan that will kick in when the computer gets too hot, and there is a battery inside. All of that are necessary for the computer to operate. But until you plug the computer in the outlet and you, and you feed it with electricity, nothing is going to happen. Now, I know you may be thinking, well, the computer has a battery, but the battery itself needs to be charged. So we know, uh, we understand this, that we, you need electricity for the computer to, 
come on, to start on, and to be able to operate. Now, the computer then, uh, as you operate it, it needs its basic physical components, and it needs, elect needs electricity. However, once the computer is operated, the computer is more than just the hardware and the electricity, because inside the computer there is a lot of software, there is a lot of programs, there is information, there is data, and once the computer is running, it becomes an operational machine that helps you do certain things that if the computer by itself was given to you without electricity, you would not be able to do anything with it, other than maybe carry it around, but you wouldn't be able to use it. But the computer, once it's plugged, it has more than just the hardware and the electricity. It becomes an operational tool. So likewise, the human being, once the dust of the ground and the breath of life were put together, the human being has several aspects. The Bible uses different words and refers to those different aspects of the human being. So I'm not... I'm not preaching any heresy here because I do believe that there are only two basic components. But I want to take you through quickly a few words that the Bible uses to refer to different aspects of the human being. And as I do this, please keep in mind, because I don't want you to understand that I'm preaching here that the human being has five or six different components. There are only two components the dust of the ground and the breath of life. But there are several aspects to the human being. And all those aspects are what make up the human being. The human being is this whole, is this whole person, this whole thing that includes all of that. You cannot talk about the body as being the human being only. And you cannot talk about the, the breath as being the human being only. Both are part of the human being and also other words that the Bible uses for them. So there are words like body, like flesh, like spirit, like heart and mind that the Bible uses to refer to different aspects of the human being. But I'm insisting on the fact that the human being is a whole the human being is indivisible. You cannot divide the human being up. You cannot separate one of those things. And the reason I'm saying this is because the Bible itself, the Bible points to the fact that this is so. When the Bible refers to the spirit, and the spirit meaning the, the, the breath, meaning the wind, the Bible also uses the word spirit to talk about the whole human being. I want to show you a couple passages. The first one is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 17 and 18. I don't want anyone to fall asleep. I don't know if it's getting too warm in here. But anyone finding 1 Corinthians 16 and verses 17 and 18, please stand up and read it out and loud for all of us. 1 Corinthians 16, 17, 18. Anyone? Uh, is that first first Corinthians? First Corinthians sixteen? That's okay. That's all right. Yes. 
Thank you. So Paul is thanking the, the coming, the visit of a certain man. And he says, they supplied what was, what was missing and they refreshed my spirit and yours. And yes, the word for spirit here is the same that is used for the wind, for the air. And so is Paul talking about his respiration? Is Paul saying that they refreshed my respiration? They refreshed my breath? No, Paul is saying that they refreshed me. I am, I am refreshed because they came, they strengthened me, they encouraged me. There is another text where Paul says, where the Bible says, uh, Paul is saying, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. And this is in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13. So once again, Paul is using the word spirit to mean the entire human being. And so my point with this is that all of these different aspects of the human being are the human being. Are part of the human being and are essential because the human being cannot be divided. Same thing with the word body and with the word flesh. Body and flesh refer to the dust of the ground. Now, do we need our bodies? Yes, we need our bodies. Our bodies is, are what determine our presence in this world. But the body is used in the Bible to also mean the human being as a whole. Let's see Genesis chapter 7 and verse 21. Genesis seven twenty-one. This is in the context of the flood... And the Bible is saying that all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. So the Bible is saying that all flesh died. So uh, how do we understand this? Is that just the flesh died and the person continued to live somehow? No. Uh, because they all perished except for Noah who was in the ark with his family. And so all flesh died, meaning that everyone died, every life was taken away. Every human being as a whole died on that day. And then in the New Testament, you remember the words of Paul in Romans 12:1. he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So Paul is saying not about the body that you're going to throw your body in the, in the fire as a living sacrifice. He's saying because he's a living sacrifice, it doesn't mean that anyone should die. But he means that we, we offer ourselves wholly and completely to God. It's not only the body. So the body is used here to represent the whole human being. And likewise, the Bible uses words like heart that normally... Uh, refers to the emotions or refers to the uh, intelligence, to the various attitudes of the human being. But the Bible also refers to the heart as the human being in general. So the heart may be one of the aspects of the human being, but it is part of the human being of this whole that the human being is. Jesus even said, For from the heart proceed, out of the heart proceed what? Evil? Thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So when Jesus says that out of the heart comes the murder, is Jesus saying that the, the, the murder is committed by the heart only or is the entire person involved in that? It's the entire person. So the heart 
is also used for to represent the entire person. I haven't seen, and uh, I, I need to be careful because we have lawyers here in the church, but I have never seen a lawyer, a defense lawyer, uh, go to court when a client is on trial for murder and say to the judge, well, it was only the heart of my client that committed murder. Uh, the person is innocent because the heart represents the person in general. It's the entire person. It's the, it's the body. It's all of that. Now, in Nehemiah 2.2, the heart was described as being sad. And so if the heart is sad, the person is sad. If the heart is, is, uh, uh, is troubled, the person is troubled. If the heart is glad, the person is glad. And then, not only there is the word body and the word flesh and heart and, uh, and spirit, there is also the word soul. And it's unfortunate that the word soul has been uh, misunderstood. Actually, the word soul, if you, if you research it, you'll find out that it comes, it was borrowed from an old Germanic language, and it meaning that's what they understand. We may not be so sure about it, but that's what most linguists understand, that this word re represents, comes from an old Germanic uh, word meaning the sea, uh, because there was an understanding that in the sea, were the souls of people who had died. And so somehow this word, this word, soul, made it into the Bible's translations because that's a word that was used at the time, but it brought with it a meaning that God actually never intended. Because the soul is never presented in the Bible as a separate entity. There is no expression in the Bible as the immortal soul. The soul is always mortal. In fact, in Ezekiel 18.20, the Bible says clearly that the soul who sins shall die. And so the word soul also refers to the entire human being. The human being is this whole indivisible being that cannot be separated. You cannot separate the body or the flesh from the spirit and still expect to have the human being. The human being will no longer exist. And the soul is simply the way that the Bible uses to express, the, to mean the whole being again. This integrated man with body, with breath, with thoughts, with ideas, with emotions, with a heart, with a mind. All of that is the soul. All of that is the living soul. All of that is the living person. Then Jesus says in Matthew 18, 28, 29, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your... Well, Jesus was talking to a number of people who were alive, Right? And so Jesus is saying, you shall find rest for your souls in me. So Jesus is not talking about uh, an immortal soul or a soul that's flying out somewhere. Jesus is talking to living people who are listening to him. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. Jesus offers rest. Jesus offers comfort for you as a complete 
human being, not to any single aspect of you, but to you as a whole. So man came out of the hands of God as this integrated unit, as this indivisible unit called the living being, the living soul, the human being. All of those are synonymous. But since the human was created as a whole, indivisible person, it follows that upon the fall of Adam and Eve, the whole being fell. And so some people will say, well, there is something good that remained right in there. Even though Adam and Eve sinned and they fell, something good was still left. Well, you can't divide the human being. If the human being came out of the hands of the Creator as an integrated unit, that whole unit fell upon the entrance of sin into this world. In fact, Isaiah in chapter 59 verses 2 and 3, Isaiah says, Your iniquities have separated you from God, for your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. Even though Isaiah is referring to different organs of the body, he's talking about the fingers, he's talking about the hands, he's talking about the lips, he's talking about the tongue. None of those organs would be uh, practicing any of those evils if the mind was not going along with them, if the mind was not commanding them to do those things. And so when the human being fell, the entire human being, the whole human being fell. And so here we find ourselves, here is the human being after the fall, totally fallen, wholly fallen. And there was the need for help from outside to be able to restore that human being that had fallen. And this is the beauty of God's plan. That even though Adam and Eve, our first parents, would have uh, betrayed God's trust and would have turned away from the Lord and it would have fallen the suggestions of the enemy. And by doing that, they would have fallen completely. God stepped in and said, I have an offer of redemption for you. If only you accept this offer, you will have everlasting life. In His infinite love and mercy, God planned the restoration of any and of everyone who accepts His free offer of salvation. In spite of man's sin, it is God's plan to restore him into his original state. Would you say amen to that? In spite of our sin, in spite of the human race having fallen, in spite of that beautiful integrated unity unit, uh, the human being, in spite of it having fallen completely, God wants to restore us to the original state of perfection. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So Jesus is interested in you as a whole. 
I hope you leave this place today understanding that there is one life principle behind human life. And that life principle is the breath of life that God breathed into man's nostrils. That is the principle of life that God thinks going. I love the way Ellen White puts it in the book, uh, The Ministry of Healing, page 415. The Ministry of Healing, page 415. She says, the human form was perfect in all its arrangements, but it was without life. Then a personal, self-existing God breathed into that form, that, uh, into, into that form the breath of life. And man became a living, intelligent being. All parts of the human organism were set in action. The heart, the arteries, the veins, the faculties of the mind, all began their work. And man became a living soul. And so that form that came from the dust of the ground was perfect, Ellen White says, in all arrangements. But it was still without life. And once the breath of life came into that man's nostrils, then every component of man, every aspect of him was set into action. And he became a living soul. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if someone says that uh, the soul can separate from the body, that's not what the Bible teaches actually. Because the soul is the human being. If someone thinks that the, that the body can somehow uh, survive without the breath, that's also not true. Because the Bible says that the breath of life was necessary to set things in motion. But once the breath of life entered that form's nostrils, everything was set into motion. All the organs, all the arteries, the blood was running, all of that, that apparently were not in that dummy form. But they were prepared there. There was one thing missing, was this life principle that God then came and breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living soul. So behind human life, there is this life-given principle that God has breathed into the human being. And for the restoration of man, that's what I want you to understand. For the restoration of man, this life-given principle is once again required and is once again necessary. It is absolutely necessary if you want to have life, both here on this earth and life eternal. You must accept, you must receive this life-given principle that only Jesus has. And so when we think of the human being as being a whole, as being this indivisible unit, this integrated unit, all of those aspects being part of the human being, you can't really remove one of them and still consider that unit a human being, that would never be possible. And you cannot refer to one of them as being a separate entity. You cannot refer to the body as being a separate entity. You cannot refer to the soul as being a separate entity. It's all, part, it's all the human being. All of that makes up the human being. 
that helps us understand why Jesus came to this earth and why he spent so more so much more time healing people than he was actually preaching and the bible says in matthew 4:23 that Jesus went about galilee all of, all of galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So Jesus was teaching. In other words, he was ministering to their minds. Jesus was preaching. He was ministering to their spiritual needs. And Jesus was healing. He was ministering to their physical, physical needs. And so God wanted, Jesus wanted to reach the human being as a whole because the human being is this whole integrated indivisible unit and so that's how Jesus sees us that's why he ministered to all aspects of the life of his creatures and this will help us understand a few texts in the Bible particularly this one that I'd like to bring you with me to it so it's first Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 first Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. So before I read this, I want to ask you, based on what we saw in the Bible today, is there any aspect of the human being that can be separated from the others? And you could still consider that to be a human being? No. The human being is this, this complex machinery, and you need all of that together for the human being to be this living soul, this living being. But then Paul, as he's finishing his first letter to the Thessalonians, he's sending uh, words of encouragement. This is where we find that text that says, Pray without ceasing. And he continues to give encouragement to them, a final greetings to them. And then in verse 23 he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's simply a repetition of what the ministry of Jesus was. Oh, this is simply a summary of what Jesus' ministry was. That Jesus ministered to the minds of people. Jesus ministered to their emotional needs. He ministered to their spiritual needs. And He ministered to their physical needs. This is simply what Paul is saying. And he's saying that God may sanctify you completely. So right here there is the idea of the whole human being. And may your whole spirit, your entire spirit, your entire human being, your entire living soul, your entire body, all of that making up what you are and who you are, may all of that be preserved until blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is not talking about a separate entity like the soul being separate from the body and the spirit. He's talking about the whole and he even uses the word whole completely because this is who we are. This is the whole gospel that Jesus came to preach. This is the whole gospel that the Bible Presents, uh, presents us with. This is why as God's people living in these last days, we must put emphasis on living a healthy lifestyle. 
We need to be careful with what we eat. We need to be careful with what we drink. We want to make sure that we are not consuming harmful substances. We want to make sure that we eat a balanced diet. That we make use of the bountiful provision of natural food that God has provided us with. Vegetables and fruit. We want to make sure that not only our diet is looked after, but we also exercise. We get enough sunlight. We get enough rest. We get enough rest on a daily basis. We drink plenty of water. We breathe clean air. And by doing those things, we are preserving or helping in the preservation of this complex machinery, this indivisible unit that is the beauty of the human being that God created. The comprehensive meaning of the word soul. The soul is the being. As representing the whole human being. Points to the wholeness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that you may live here today being reassured. And having your faith in the biblical account, biblical account reaffirmed. That we came from the hands of the creator to begin with. And that God prepared everything out of the dust of the ground. And then when he breathed into man's nostrils, man became this living soul. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror, when you think about your organs functioning, you should remember that you came from the hands of the Creator. That you are not the product of evolution. That you are not the product of random selection. That God has never ever as the theory of, theory of evolution would, would presume, God has never ever used death to create life. It's not that some beings, some forms of life would have to subside and be supplanted by stronger forms of life. That has never been God's method. God is the author of life and not of death. God has used the power of His Word and His hands to bring life into this planet. So leave this place today being reassured of that. That you were created by design. God designed you. You came out of the hands of the Creator. And then He created you as this entire, whole, indivisible, integrated unit. And that's the integrated unit, the indivisible unit that He wants to save. And give life for eternity. I want to come back with you as we finish to Acts chapter, 20, Acts chapter 17, 24 to 28. Because these are words that Paul was speaking, as I said in the beginning, to a number of people who are not even Christians. Or we tend to believe, according to uh, the indications of Scripture and of history, that most of them were not Christians at all. They were philosophers. They were discussing different ideas. And Paul stands up there. And I'm going to read from verse 22 actually now. Paul stands up there and he gives a powerful testimony of the God creator. Of the one he believed. Of the one he gave his life for. And so he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, 
the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to live, to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some also some of your own poets have said, for we also are His offspring. May God bless you. May you leave this place encouraged. Even in, in, in face of the challenges of life and the difficulties of life and in face of the uh, weariness of life and you know you may have a very difficult week and and sometimes you come to church on sabbath and uh, you almost can't make it but you you finally came and i'm glad that you are here and you're all worshiping together and encouraging one another i want you to leave this place being encouraged and reminded that you were created by design and God has a special interest in you. He wants to see all of you saved, every inch of your body, every cell of your body, every particle of your thoughts, every idea you have, everything, your mind, your brain, all of that, He wants to restore and save. And may you desire this so much that you will surrender your life totally and completely to Jesus Christ. God bless you. Amen.